It's only entertainment. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. We are here live at MJ BizCon on day two. I am here with Jeff Trotter of Regenimus. Jeff, thanks for being on The Talking Hedge. It's great to be here. Thank you very much for the invitation. I appreciate it. Um, Regenimus, did I say that right? You did. Okay. Yeah. What is Regenimus for those that don't know? Um, it's a made-up word, portmanteau, if you like. Uh, it stands for regenerative cannabis. It's the first five letters of regener- regenerative and the last five of cannabis. We put them together and we figured, why not? Because ultimately what we're about is looking at cannabis from a regenerative perspective, embedding sustainability-centric behaviors in the industry, which will then in turn create sustainability into other industries on the back of, say, industrial cannabis and the hemp space. So that's, that's fundamentally what we're doing, kind of level setting and bringing environmental social governance factors into the business, looking at sustainability, looking at long-term play in the, in the industry. Okay. So you're trying to reduce carbon footprints, reduce uh, any uh, pollutants or, or pesticides or yeah, things of that nature? Absolutely. And in fact, not only in the cultivation space, but if you look at all the verticals, the five verticals, plus let's throw in another one, make it around half dozen distribution which will change dramatically, of course, once you can start moving things across state borders. But what we're looking at is not only the energy aspects of it from, say, a cultivation perspective, but also looking at the social aspects and the governance aspects, meaning looking at the behaviors of, of corporate executives and the businesses. Let's look at the things that institutional investors focus on and helping cannabis businesses get ready for that day when institutional investors come into this space on, say, the back of the Safe Banking Act or the Climb Act or, who knows, federal legalization. Because at that point, those institutional investors will for sure bring capital, but they'll also bring some questions around an environmental social governance set of behaviors. And they want to see evidence of that either in reports, which would be, say, an annual report, or interim reports. And increasingly, we know that cannabis executives on their earnings calls, maybe two years ago, three years ago, they might have got gotten the ESG question at number eight, nine, or ten from someone, but now it's number three, four, or five. So it's becoming more and more important. So we're getting cannabis companies prepared for that eventuality, and it's almost upon us. First thing that comes to mind is, is simply just growing uh, hemp in between cycles to kind of clean the soil or... Is that is that a process? Is that even uh, a thing? For sure, it's a thing. In fact, it's it's a very big thing. Um, if we look, let's leave hemp to one side for a moment. Let's just look at America. Potentially a dust bowl in 60 years' time, unless we get on top of soil health, unless we begin to think about big ag and what it is doing to the layer of soil. That top layer of soil will disappear unless we arrest the way in which big ag is functioning. Meaning we need to move away from monoculture ideas of just having a single crop. The introduction of hemp into this conversation, but also into that process, actually provides us with a great opportunity to, uh, to, to create a sort of a, a play for hemp to, to create uh, an opportunity to, to really help improve soil health and use it on a rotational basis. And so we're looking at ways in which we can help 
other industries on the back of ag because now we're growing hemp we can use that hemp in other potential industries whether it's food fibers fabrics fashion ultimately even who knows the finance world because then we've we could open up an opportunity around carbon sequestration and that that marketplace could be a trillion dollar business then we start talking about real opportunity around regenerative finance so we're talking about regenerative industries the ultimate being the finance industry so there's a lot of connectivity that we're that we're, that we're sort of looking at addressing at regenerative I'm curious though if we've reached peak uh, ESG from from the investor standpoint. The reason I say that is because if we go back in time in the Wayback Machine to Tom Shoes, who you know you buy a pair of shoes and he's going to give one away, yeah. that was something that was kind of profound and unheard of from a capitalistic standpoint. Sure. And so we kind of drove this this the concept of SRI or social responsible investing right. in, in finding those companies. Then you would just get lumped into uh, an ETF and say, okay, this thing is SRI and ESG or environmental social governance, and so these are good investments. Right. And yet it's just greenwashing. Because if you look at it, you have Exxon in mm-hmm. one of these ETFs and Tesla's yeah. not. Yeah. And I'm not saying that lithium is clean. It's not. Sure. But it's a hell of a lot cleaner than what Exxon right, is right. doing. And so are we really yeah. looking at ESG or is this just a capitalistic way of yeah. generating revenue? It's a great question, Josh, because I think what you've really just captured there is a confusion that's out there around these the interplay and the interoperability of terms, almost like ESG, sustainability, CSR. They're all synonymous, and they're not synonymous. We need to kind of like take a step back and think, what is ESG and how is it different from, say, sustainability, a la Tom Shoes, a la Tesla's batteries, etc., and to, to sort of make a point on that let's look at Elon and let's look at the what he said about maybe two months ago when he said this ESG stuff is, is just nonsense how can his business Tesla be lower from an ESG score compared to say an oil company which is a fair point because he's saying our products do this so let me break that down ESG is different from sustainability ESG is a, is a set of parameters that help businesses understand how they're mitigating risk. It's basically external challenges and how they're addressed internally to the business. Sustainability is, now that you're doing all of that, it's your internal products and services that you've created and the impact it has outside, so in to out. So let's go back to Elon Musk. His ESG performance is woeful compared to an oil company because in, in, in both instances they're looking at investors are looking at their environmental behaviors, their social behaviors and their governance behaviors in terms of what is being required of them from a mandate or a market perspective. In Elon's case and Tesla's case, whilst they're doing some great things on the E front in terms of how they're utilizing energy to create the automobiles they're creating and there's some good governance. There are many challenges on the social side if you consider some of the the criticisms that are happening on the shop floor in those factories where they're uh, they're utilizing terms like the plantation because it's largely black folks working in that space. I mean, that's why he has a dreadful ESG score, different from his sustainability performance. Same with the oil companies. An oil company can have a very good ESG score, and from an investor perspective, 
if I'm looking through an ESG lens, I could look, if I'm looking to find value, I, I might invest in that oil company because their ESG performance is, is a good performance. If I'm interested in values, I'm not going to invest in that oil business because fundamentally that oil business is extractive to the planet. It's destroying the planet from a climate perspective. Externally, that's why it's hard to find an oil company that has a really good sustainability performance. But Elon Musk's, you know, Tesla, if you look at that, that's a, they have a really good sustainability performance. So he's mixing his things up. Actually, if he focused on his sustainability and said rather than ESG, then you would see that actually he's outperforming the oil companies. So that, that's, a, that's a way in which we separate this, this notion of what is ESG versus sustainability. They're not synonymous, they're not the same, they're linked, but they're not the same. And that's, a, that's how we set about it, so addressing that, if you like. Where is the cannabis industry relative to other industries as we kind of see Florida coming online and requiring lots of AC for indoor in order to avoid humidity, right. uh, you know, mold and, and sure. things that would come from, from that environment? Uh, overall, where, where are we at? That, again, a great question. I would say um, at a very high level, the quick response is way behind. Uh, the industry, the cannabis industry, is way behind if we look at other industries and sectors out there. How do we know that? Well, if we look at, say, the listed entities, the cannabis companies that are listed in, in, the, in various exchanges, typically in Canada, there are, say, 200 listed entities. There are probably only 10 ESG reports in the cannabis space. If you look at the Fortune 500, 95% of Fortune 500 companies have an ESG report. So that tells you there's a chasm. There's a massive gap that needs to be closed up. But at the same time, what we're also looking at is thinking, how can we then help cannabis companies better understand what it is that is material to their business? And right now, we find that a lot of cannabis companies are saying, well, our materiality is kind of similar to an adult beverages space. And our view is, no, let's look at your materiality aligned to your license types. And if you're from seed to sale, then you're going to have some cultivation aspects around ESG right through to retail, speciality retail and your dispensaries and everything in between. So we at Regenibus, we help them think through what really is their materiality and what they should be focusing on. And we think that that's a great way to help those cannabis companies be better prepared for the eventuality of this capital coming into this space. So whilst they're a little behind, we think the opportunity for them to actually overtake and to be poster children for one of a term in, in any industry, I think, is there for us. And, and that's kind of what, principally what we're focusing on. Is this for just altruistic individuals that are going to be uh, priced at a premium, or is this for the unapologetic capitalists who are able to save money? I, I think, you know, it's the, as we say in, uh, in the UK, it's, it's like horses for courses. There will be capitalists who will find, and by capitalists, we mean monocapitalists, only focused on the money as opposed to, say, a multi-capitalist that actually wants money but also wants to see a social impact as well as an environmental impact. We're focusing on those multi-capitalists for one of a term. But at the same time, you can have a, a, still a, a monocapitalist that's looking for economic value. We can see that over time that those organizations that can demonstrate a performance, a, a better performance around ESG than, say, a, a competitor organization, that informs that investor that that company, company A, is mitigating its risk. And that, 
from an investor perspective is exactly what you're looking for. You need to have evidence, and that's what the ESG report will do. So it, it, it could be good for the mono-capitalist, but it will also be very good for the consumer. If we think of it in a in somewhat abstract way, right now in the cannabis space, it's difficult for a cannabis company, if not illegal, for a cannabis company to market an individual product or, or service, because it's just not federally legal. But there's nothing stopping at, at a corporate level to set about creating a brand value based around those environmental social governance and then their sustainability narrative, which ultimately, when we do get to the point where those cannabis companies can start marketing their individual products, there will be an awareness of cons by consumers that say, oh, this is from this company, I know that company, and therefore we'll see brand value being created as well as business value being created. So we're, we're, we're identifying ways, because increasingly consumers, as well as employees, they want to buy and or work for companies that are demonstrating exactly that. It's beyond altruism. I, as, I, you know, as I said earlier in, in, you know, in the conversation, we're at a very unique moment in time on the back of COP27. We talk frequently about this industry, the cannabis industry. We, we also look at other industries. Fundamentally, we're all now under one umbrella industry, the climate industry whether we like that or not, whether we're denying that or not. That's the, that's the scenario we're in right now. Regulators are demanding it, governments are demanding it, the market is demanding it, investors are demanding it, and consumers are demanding it. So are civil society. So we have the perfect storm that's, that's just being generated here. And I, so I think it's beyond altruism. It's, it's, it's frankly, it's, it's a critical moment in, in, in humanity. It's a huge opportunity for the cannabis and hemp industry to kind of lead the way. Totally. And we think it's, I mean, massive. We we frequently talk about the opportunity by 2030, which is the target for the Sustainable Development Goals of the United Nations. You know, by 2030, we think that this industry, which is, let's let's look break it down into three broad sectors of recreational, medical, and industrial hemp. It could easily be a trillion-dollar industry if you, the, the the medical side and the recreational side are probably going to be about 200 million. The balance, really, about 800 million, really, from from hemp. Yes, if you look at how it can disrupt pretty much any industry out there that begins the letter F that I already referenced: food, fashion, fabrics, fibers, farming, pharma. Doesn't begin with an F, but sounds like it. And ultimately, finance because the carbon market. Yeah. And I think that we have a an incredible opportunity here with hemp. When we look at some of the things that have just happened recently here in the United States with the uh, Inflation Reduction Act and some of the opportunities there for hemp growers to, to seek funding on the back of this opportunity because in, in essence what they're creating is uh, a piece of the carbon market and, and helping you know, address some of the issues, the climactic issues that we're having, not just in this country but elsewhere. So we see this as a huge opportunity. It's often why we say... We're driving sustainability both for the cannabis industry and then by the cannabis industry because it could be a game changer if we get this right. So right. That, that's what we're focusing on. For those on. that do know it's going to be a game changer and they want to get a hold of you, where can they find you at? Well, it's Jeff, G-E-O-F-F. -F. I sometimes get Geoff. <laughs> that helps. Uh, so Geoff at Regenibus.com. Regenabis.com, first five of regenerative, last five of cannabis.com, or info at regenabis.com. Our website is regenabis.com. 
You'll also, we have a sister site called regenerativecannabislive.com because that's the site we use for our event that we host at the United Nations where we bring this market into the room to talk about that opportunity for the cannabis and hemp space to not leave 7.8 billion people behind. And that's, that's what we do in that space. So there's a lot of stuff that we've been doing there too. And then soon we'll launch ESGXL, which is our SaaS platform to help cannabis companies on the back of understanding what's material to then set about measuring, monitoring, and reporting out on that content. Right now, in the midst of a crazy capital raise, we've been self-funded for two and a half years and we're in the process of raising two and a half million dollars, which is really quite interesting. Uh, I should have done this 20 years ago when I had a lot more energy. Yeah, it's exciting. It's also uh, a lot of work. But uh, appreciate oh the good conversation on DSG. We'll have to follow up with you on your capital race. But with that, I think we're going to have to roll this one up. So Wonderful. I want to thank my guest, Jeff Trotter. He's with Regenibus. Jeff, thanks again for being on the talk. Thanks ever so much. Great appreciate to be here. Thank you. I'm Josh McCabe. This is The Talking Heads. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't. And I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name is Kira Reed, and I'd like to invite you to be inspired by the women who are leading in the cannabis industry. Each week, we will discuss empowerment, leadership, and what it means to be a woman in charge in marijuana, hemp, and CBD. As the founder of the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, I have had the great pleasure to get to know many brilliant and talented women who are CEOs, executives, politicians, advocates, and community leaders that are focused on creating a cannabis economy that is just, fair, and equal. We'll learn how these women make decisions, how they navigate a predominantly male industry, and what they're doing to level the playing field for women. I hope you'll join us.